title of the message is Glorified Joy. 1 Peter 1, we'll read first nine verses, but we'll settle in eventually to verses 6 through 9. I just absolutely love these two letters of the Apostle Peter. I would put them up there with the book of Romans. I would put them up there with the book of John. There is so much encouragement from the beginning introduction to the conclusion so it's our ambition to, um, to preach through these two letters. We're in 1 Peter 1, and I'll just tell you, it's difficult just getting out of the gate here. Peter doesn't waste any time. He just digs right in. And you're wondering, well, what, what's taking me so long? Well, we're, we're there. We're going to dig in to this uh, text, we we are there. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this You greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. The, the word of the Lord, Father in heaven, we thank you that you speak 
to us. You speak to us through your word. This holy, sacred, inspired word. Lord, we accept your word as authoritative in our lives. We accept your word as binding on the church. So, Lord, this morning, take your word and bring it home to our hearts. And may we cherish your word. May we be instructed by it. May we be sanctified through it. Lord, may we be built up in the faith through it. So we ask, Lord, right now for you to do an extraordinary work among us and in us, in our hearts, as we read and study and preach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a a special offer for you this morning. I have a sermon in a sentence. Okay? So the sermon in a sentence. One sentence is a little bit long, but that's all right. Not a simple sentence, I don't think. But this is the sermon. All that the world esteems as praiseworthy will one day be burned up while the genuine faith of the children of God results in glorified joy to the praise and glory and honor of God. So I'm going to take that one sentence and I'm going to read it again. All that the world esteems or values as praiseworthy will one day be burned up while the genuine faith of the children of God results in glorified joy to the praise and glory and honor of God. Let's look. We have an introduction and we'll never get away from the way Peter describes believers in this very first verse. In fact, in the original language, the words are, are side by side, the electos and the exiles. So the elect exiles right there in our, in my English translation, these words are separated. We see aliens there, the end of the second line of the first verse. And then at the end of the verse, I've got chosen. But in the original, they're at the beginning and they're close together. They're side by side. So Peter is, he, listen, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about these precious souls. They've received Jesus. They're elect. And then he's thinking about their circumstances in the world. So with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit, they're elect. They're believers. They love him. They've been forgiven. But their earthly circumstances are difficult. He says they're, they're living as foreigners. 
They're scattered. That's another word he uses to describe their circumstance. And they're scattered over a vast area. These, these are provinces of Asia Minor. I've read accounts where this is probably 130,000 square miles represented here in these five provinces. And they're out there. So they're not really, not really connected to one another. Now, there may have instances where you've got more than one believer in the same place, no doubt. But they're scattered. So he doesn't write to just like one church. Like he doesn't say to the church at. He's talking about any believer who's in these provinces who will read this letter. This so speaks to our situation today. Who are believers? Believers are elect of God. You've been chosen. You've been selected. I think we mentioned it last week. I like this definition. You've been picked out. You've been picked out. You've been selected. And we are in this world. And we live as foreigners. Or we live as exiles. In this world. Here's what he's saying. In this world... You're an outsider. You're not an insider. You're an outsider as a believer in Jesus. And he develops this as we read. Look at, uh, let's do this. What has God done? That's a great exercise. What has God done for you? Well, we've already looked at the fact that we're elect. There it is. Who are chosen. We're chosen. We're elect. And then he defines that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We're warming up. We'll get to new territory in a little bit. But I love this. I can't get too much of this. I need reminded of this. I want these words. I want this truth in my soul. I don't ever want to let it go. I never want to forget it. I want to understand it as best I can. I want to live by it as best I can. I want to know what God has done. He has chosen you. He has chosen me. How did he do this? It was according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. We've talked about this, but we need to hear it again. That foreknowledge is all about the father's love for those whom he selected. He loves you. It's not just that he is all wise and he knows There is a love there. There is a fatherly love that he places on those whom he has chosen. And if he has chosen you, if you are a believer in him, that love, that fatherly love is on you. And we live in a world that is basically void of this fatherly love. There, it, it grieves my heart that, that children, some children grow up never knowing the love of the father. But I want you to know as a Christian, as a believer, you have the love of our heavenly father on your life. And that can't be matched. But the father has a love for you. His heart is toward you. And then by the sanctifying work of the spirit. So here, Peter, the apostle is honoring the work of the spirit in salvation. 
We are, he says it later, that we're born again. Well, how could we be born again except by the Spirit of God? The wind blows where it wills. Jesus told Nicodemus. And so here we are, we're born again. The Lord's done a work in our heart. How do he do that work? Is it a work of man? Did I just labor over the Bible for oh so many years and finally come to an understanding? Well, that can happen, but that didn't happen for me. It was God dropped the truth of the word in my heart, in my soul, by his spirit. He brought conviction of sin, of the sin of unbelief. Because what? We don't believe in him. That's the story of every lost soul. They've rejected Christ. They do not believe in him. The Holy Spirit convinces us of his righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus. Why is that necessary? Because Jesus is not on the earth anymore. You can't lay your eyes on perfection. The disciples could lay their eyes on Jesus and they saw perfection. Everything he said, everything he did, every, every response to those around him, every response to his father, Jesus was sinless in every manner. And so when the Holy Spirit does a work toward our salvation, it is to bring conviction of sin and conviction of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Well, I don't have any. I am unrighteous. He brings conviction of the righteousness of Christ, that he was fully righteous, that he demonstrated the righteousness of the father when he was on this earth, the righteousness of God. And Jesus himself is God. So of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment? Yes, he convinces us that not only was Satan judged at the cross, but all those who refuse to believe in Jesus and trust Jesus, all those who reject Christ will one day be judged as well. And no one can convince me otherwise. A large part of my lost days as a teenage boy were with the knowledge that if I died in that moment, I would be separated from God for all eternity and judged by his righteous judgment as a lost soul. And I would be in hellfire, hell flame all eternity. I read the word, but he convinced me that that was true. All who do not know Jesus will be judged. That's the work of the spirit. And that work is not only a work that causes us to be born again, but here he says, by the sanctifying work. So it is a work that takes place at salvation, the setting apart. He sets us apart out of the world. He brings us into his family. That's why he calls us the ecclesia, the called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of a life of sin and into a, a life of, of holy living, of desiring to please God. And this is not anything that man can accomplish on his own. This is a, he says, it's a sanctifying work of the spirit. And then to obey Jesus Christ at salvation, he puts that desire in us to obey Christ. 
and then to be sprinkled with his blood. I believe these are two of the same things. They mention the same thing. They're together, one preposition, all together, to obey Jesus Christ, to be, become obedient to the faith in receiving Jesus, in repenting and believing, and then to be sprinkled with his blood, to be forgiven. And then may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. So this is all that God does. This is why it's so beyond our full comprehension that God would choose us, that God would do this work so complete through the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then, and then Peter says, God goes further than that. He says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Or may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I think that gives us an estimation of what Peter's mind is toward these precious elect exiles who are living on the fringes of society. They've been ostracized. They've been persecuted to some extent. And Peter says, you don't don't need just everyday ordinary grace and mercy. He says, for you precious people and how you're living and where you're living right now and the circumstances that you're in, You need multiplied grace and peace. And I want to say, I want to be a candidate for that. I want multiplied grace and peace. I mean, everyday average grace and peace is wonderful, but I need multiplied grace and peace. And you do too. You and I don't know what's next in our lives. You know, we've got... Oh, two or three people right now in our congregation suffering from illness. A couple ladies. Uh, Pearl is recovering from a fall. Spent a couple days in the hospital this week. Uh, Frances has been in a rehab nursing home facility. She's trying to get better. Been there for three weeks. When I talk to them, I, I go right to First Peter. So encouraging. We need multiplied grace and peace. And he will multiply that grace and peace to you. It's a wonderful, it's, it's, it's electing grace. It's regenerating grace. It's sanctifying grace. It's persevering grace. God gives you the grace to persevere. How do I, how do I go on? Well, he gives you grace to go on. We need multiplied grace and peace. I pray today while we, while we, Dwell here while we speak these words that multiplied grace and peace be on yours, on your family, and that you just revel in God's grace and peace as it is multiplied to you, as it is manifest in your life to the fullest measure. And then Peter just goes to doxology. And I think this, he's really saying that this should be the reflection or a reflection of our lives. This is the sum of our lives, a doxology, a praise to God. You are a walking, talking, living praise to God as a believer. Do you, do you understand? He loves you that much and we have received of his grace and mercy. So we just bless Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I right now can barely contain myself 
uh, for his just thinking about his grace and peace. Grace and peace. Say, well, how in the world, how did you ever get to where you're standing here with the Bible and and preaching or or encouraging or whatever? How'd that ever happen? Well, I only have one explanation for that. It's God's grace and peace. I mean, if you look at my yearbook, my high school yearbook, uh, you're not going to see most likely to do anything. This is God's grace and peace, and it's his plan. So I want to encourage you to to receive his grace and peace and walk in his plan. Never underestimate God. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's significant right there, Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. Jesus, that is, is God. The Father is God. And it wasn't like Jesus came to earth to become God. He already was God. He'd been God all along. He just showed up and presented God to us in himself. And look at this next part. Look at all that God does. Look, who according to his what? Great mercy. He doesn't say according to your great merit or your great goodness, or you're so wonderful, or you had that great personality. No, no, this is according to his great mercy. Mercy is Elias. I love that word there in the Greek. And it's not just everyday mercy, it's great mercy. His great mercy, mega mercy from God. Um, Whenever you see mercy in a Bible, I want you to think this. His mercy for our misery, because life without Jesus is miserable. You just put it that way. You can name sins, but if you want to just get a bottom line perspective on what living life without Christ, without a framework for what God has done in the past as creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, and what he has done through history, I mean, you can boil it all down to this, that man, man's existence without God is nothing but miserable, miserable. And now listen, lost man will tell him, tell himself it's not. And he'll say, well, you know, I'm having a great time, the greatest time of my life. But, but from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, a real God in real time, it's miserable. Life without Christ, that is. But according to his great mercy, he has caused us to what? This is something else God has done, to be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no way to sidestep being born again. We're born once into this world, into this realm, and we're horizontal in our views, but we need to be born again. So that we look up and we understand that we're here by God's grace, by God's will. And we're here to receive him and to walk before him humbly. So we've been born again to a lively hope. So we're, we're not citizens of this world. This is really important. It goes back to the elect exiles. We're not citizens of this world because we've been born again. We're now in his family. I'm a citizen of another country. I'm looking for another city 
a city whose builder and maker is God. A city that actually has foundations, his righteousness. I'm not so much tied to this world anymore. I'm an outsider. I'm not an insider. When you look at the world, but with God, if you're a believer, you're an insider with the Lord. You have his word before you. You have his instruction here. We have a living hope. Hope is a hope here is an expectation. Hope is not wishful thinking. Well, I hope team A wins game whatever. That's a hope. That's a wish. That may or may not happen, but the hope in the scripture is a solid, reasonable expectation for future results. And he says, we have a lively lively hope or a living hope. I trust today your hope is in Christ. I trust that your hope is not that the world's going to get more to your liking. Because it's not. Our hope is in Christ. The only thing I can be sure of right now is God is real. He's alive. He's doing a work. He's drawing us to his word. We're following him. I have no idea what's going to happen out here tomorrow. We have a living hope. Because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus is not risen, we have no hope. But at last, he is risen. Jesus is alive. Thus, I have a living hope. I have a reasonable expectation That what Jesus said he will do, he will do. He has fulfilled prophecies in the past. He will fulfill all prophecies in the future. I have a lively hope. Don't let your hope grow dim. Have a lively hope. Have a high hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the empty tomb. And this hope is to what? Obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved where? Fort Knox? No. Down here at the bank? No. Nowhere here on earth. He says it's reserved in heaven for you. And that's either true or it's not true. And I say that this is inspired by the one who is risen from the dead, and it is true. Jesus Christ is alive, and what he says will happen, will happen. And we are not looking for riches here on earth. We are not looking for an earthly inheritance. We're not looking for anything from this complicated world in which we live. We are looking toward an eternal inheritance. And Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. 
and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Was somebody talking back? Okay, that's all right. That's all right. Reserved in heaven for you, for you elect exiles. And by the way, not only is the inheritance protected, but he says those who are to inherit the inheritance are protected. Verse five, who are protected by the power of God through faith. We're trusting him. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the last time there that he's talking about is the last time. So we have salvation that is now current, present, but we also have the consummation of that salvation that will happen, as Peter says, in the last time. And until then, we are protected by the power of God. Now, you get that? Can you receive that? I mean, that has some real... uh, ramifications. I mean, that causes you to walk with uh, uh, some joy in your heart and, and uh, some, some excitement about your life and hope about your life protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And we're to our text. So here's where we're going to close. We're going to close with our text. Since God has done all of that, Now, these are not imperatives. This is really important. These are not imperatives. These are not commands for us. What Peter is saying here is, since God has done all this, this is who you are. See, that's it. So if you are who you are, you be who you be, you'll please him. And this is just, he's giving us a description of who the believer is, that has received all this from God. God has been active in their lives. God has brought them truth. God has brought them hope. God has brought them mercy. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the fullest measure. God has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, All this good stuff God has done. He has prepared the way. Now, who are we? Right there it is in verses six through nine. We'll, we'll hit these real quick. In this, you greatly rejoice. That is not a command. That is what you, that's who you are because of what he's done. You get that? Now, if you are who you are, this is what we do. This is our perspective. Even though we feel uh, rejected, ostracized by the world, maybe made fun of by the world, maybe persecuted by the world. Definitely we're at odds with the world. But he says in this, in what? You don't want me to go back and preach verses one through five again, but that's what in this would lead you to do is go back and start with verse one in this, in what? Well, what he just said, you greatly rejoice. So that joy in your heart, now, someone has said, you know, now we, now all we need to do is try to figure out how to get the joy in our heart up to our face. <laughs> but that joy is in your heart. You greatly rejoice. Why is that so important? I mean, if, you know, God is going to be true to his promises for you, but also for those that you love, those that are in your family, those friends, those uh, neighbors, those 
colleagues who have received Christ, God's going to be true to his promise for them as well. Yeah, I know parents get concerned about their, their children. Well, listen, it's so important to make sure they're grounded in the faith and the scriptures. And they have all that we just described there in verses 1 through 5. That God would do for them what he did for you. And he would save them and be true to his promise for them. And and they would walk in the joy that Peter is expressing right now in verse 6. He says, "You in this you greatly rejoice. He doesn't say in this you better rejoice. He says in this, you greatly rejoice. In other words, he's writing to people who are already rejoicing. And they don't have it so good. Their circumstances have changed. I mean, they're so far from 5G, it's not even funny. But he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, here it is, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now, here's a question. This is a very good question. I've thought about this, and I think I'm going to give an answer based on the scripture. So are trials inevitable, or are trials a, an, a, a possible occurrence? Which is it? Well, I think from Peter's perspective, trials are inevitable for the believer. Why? Goes back to those first two words. Elect exiles. So what what do those words translated mean? You're selected and you're rejected. Because God selects you, but the world rejects you. Right? So trials are inevitable. I mean, that's just, and that's what God uses to perfect our faith. He says it right here. We'll get to it. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So they're rejoicing, even though there are trials in their lives. And later on, Peter will bring up the fiery trial. Be not surprised at the fiery trial among you, as if some strange thing were happening to you. But what? Keep on trusting, keep on believing, trust your life to God so that the proof of your faith, this is it, the proof of your faith. So these trials have something to do with our faith. They strengthen our faith so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold. By the way, Peter tells us and reminds us that gold is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Now, there again, the revelation of Jesus is that last time. He says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. You love Jesus today? The more you read about Jesus, the more more you read about what he's done for us. Do you love Jesus? That word is agapete. You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. So what do we do? Because of all that he has done, four things. We have a living hope. We greatly rejoice. We are rejoicing. We love him. We believe in him. And then he comes back to greatly rejoice again. You greatly rejoice. And then he uses the word again with joy 
inexpressible and full of glory. So God has a glorified joy for those who have received grace and mercy unto salvation and sanctification through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for your encouragement, Lord, through this word. Uh, we, we don't know what to say other than thank you and other than we, we love you. And we thank you for that multiplied grace and peace on our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please stand turn number 330, Spirit of the Living God.